the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Financial stress is all around us. How do we not get overwhelmed by it? And then where did all the evangelism conferences go? An update on the congressional hearings, and later, seven ways to hold on to hope. You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome to the Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. Aubrey, I know we don't like to talk about the weather a lot, but it's awful outside today. It is what a hundred degrees officially. So we are living in some tropical heat wave right now, and then hopefully there's not more tornadoes later. But I feel like there's going to be. It's a little wild. We. This is when we all need a pool, Brian. It's it's unreal. Like it's like like you said we wait for summer and then all of a sudden we go to tornado last night and 100 degree it's I don't know why we live here. Like this is just absolute craziness. Why but do we live here? Hopefully you are It's exactly right. Hopefully <sighs> you are in some air conditioning today and uh and just ready to enjoy it's summer. Like you said off air Aubrey I said I can't believe there's people who like 100 degrees and you said well it's better than negative 40. Yes. And I said well, that says something about where we live, that those are our two choices. I mean, it does feel like that. It feels like those are the two choices when you live in Chicago. We we do have those two great weeks a year that everybody talks about. But besides that, uh, this is what Did we're we stuck with. Them? We need to move. We Did need... we miss those two weeks already? We might we might have skipped over them. Or we, I don't know, I probably had COVID during them or, or something like that. I don't know. We need, there you go. We, need to, we all need to just move to... Where is it? They always say Southern California or like San Diego. San Diego. Yes. That's everybody talks about San Diego. Let's move there. I'll be honest. If it's going to be 100 degrees, I'm okay with it if we're like on the beach in Florida, you know, like I don't I actually don't mind the heat, but I want to be in or near the water. Okay, I'm fair. I'm fair with that. So hopefully you're enjoying your your if you're not near water, you're near air conditioning mm-hmm. today, hopefully. Gosh, really? And, uh, we. Yes, we're glad that you are with us. All right, Aubrey, speaking of stress, uh, I was watching the Today Show this morning, and uh, it got my blood pressure riling with stress because all they – here's how they started. with listing every financial stressor we're all feeling right now. So yesterday, uh, the stock market took a plunge. Uh, There's about to be a raise in interest rates. Food is up 10% since last year. We're paying five fifty at the gas tank. Uh, and we could keep going and going and going. Yeah. And it got me thinking, like, how do we live our day-to-day lives right now mm. without getting overwhelmed? Because it does feel overwhelming, right? It I, does I feel told you this yesterday. Yeah. My, 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 the cheapest of my cars cost me $80 yeah, to fill up crazy. Uh, two days crazy. ago. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've got kids that cost a lot of money, right? Their activities. So it's not like you could just pull the plug on your expenses. Right. Like, I don't feel right. like there's a lot of uh, extraneous uh, spending going yeah. on. But a lot of people on the Today Show, they were talking about, you know, people uh, who have stopped driving, other mm-hmm. people who have had to get second jobs. Mm-hmm. And and so 
I don't think it's a very small uh, slice of people out there, Aubrey, who are not stressed by the finances right yeah. now. I think the vast majority of us feel really stressed and overwhelmed. So I thought we would speak just from our own lives, but also pastorally. Mm, like, okay. how do we? How do we not get overwhelmed by what's going on? How do we live day to day? What are some strategies people could be employing, whether it be budgeting mm-hmm. or or prayer yes. or whatever else it is? How do we live in what is right now a, if we're honest with it, a superly a super stressful financial yeah. time for it, everybody? It absolutely is. It's interesting. I was reading the New York Times this morning. There was an article that came in on something called greedflation. It's a new term, greedflation. <laughs> they said okay. as prices have increased faster than any other point in four decades. Lawmakers have scrambled for explanations. In recent months, some Democrats have landed a new culprit, price gouging. The idea is that big companies have seized on inflation to jack up prices more than necessary. The White House has backed the claim, and congressional Democrats have introduced bills that target price gouging. Proponents of this theory have a catchy term for it, greedflation. Basically, they're saying greed is causing this to happen. Now, some people are not on board with that, etc. But the, the point is, everybody's feeling greedflation, inflation, whatever you want to call it, prices are increasing at an accelerated rate and it is very overwhelming. So back to your question, what do we do about it? I know like practically, practically is not really the point, but I will say some practical things. My mom actually called me yesterday. My parents live in Oklahoma and we were going to do kind of like a kind of like a quick weekend trip down there, drop the boys off, let them stay with Mimi and Pops for a few days, and then Kevin and I were going to drive down and meet them for our family vacation. This is later on in July, so this is a while from now. And we all just kind of decided consecutive or communally, like collectively, we are not going to do that first trip. Like we'll all just go down as a family, but there's just no Mm. reason to spend hundreds of dollars for like a quick turnaround and, you know, kind of a bummer, but I, I think that's the reality people are facing right now is making different decisions about vacations. Like you said, walking to work instead of driving to work. Um, I do think budgeting is huge. Like I spent this morning just going through our family budget. Where are we? Where are we with gas? Where are we with groceries? Where are we with, you know, and just making sure like, can all of our ends meet? Can all of our bills get paid? Do we need to say no to certain activities? And then I do think you're right, Brian. Like, I know you kind of laughed when you said prayer, but I do think we need God's sustaining grace in this season, like to provide for our families, to help us keep our eyes open to people in need and see how we can provide for them. And just to give us, I guess, a sense of peace that like, this is not a surprise to God. It's all in his hands. I mean, the hard part is I feel like this new um, taxing financial season is coming out of it just feels like we're never going to get a break. Like it's like COVID and it's election and it's, I mean, there's just not, it just feels like, Oh, here we go. Here's the next thing we have to deal with. And I know in one sense that's life like, hello, welcome to life. Welcome to adulting. But it does. (laughs) I I feel like coming into this, I think a lot of us are wearier as a nation than we would have coming into this even a few years ago. Not that we would have liked it, but so I, this is where I do think like we need the Holy spirit to give us, strength that only only peace that passes understanding right peace that only the holy spirit can give in times like these it does feel like where the rubber meets the road with some of the things we preach about when it comes to money when it comes Mm. to contentment when it comes to yeah uh where we find our security like uh it does feel like some of that's being pulled out now 
now I would do want to acknowledge there are people where it's really being pulled out right now, mm. right? They can't afford rent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All these things. Thankfully, you and I are not in that right. spot. But like you said, it's affecting the budget. Mm-hmm. It's affecting, you know, whether it be vacation or grocery shopping or going out on date night or whatever else it might be. Yeah. Uh, what it costs to fill up your gas tank. Uh, that it does kind of point us back to scripture. Scripture says a lot of things about where we put our hope. Um, you know, the fleeting nature of of putting your mm. your treasure here on earth. Like, gosh, it does. It feels like you're burning money as you're filling up your gas tank or whatever yeah. else. It does feel like this is a time for us as Christians to go, okay, like, uh, where is my, mm. where is my hope? Mm. And here's a backwards thing. I'm going to say this and be really challenged by my own words here, Aubrey. This happens a lot of times when we talk and when we preach. Uh, this is not a time to pull back on your generosity. I was going to say the same thing. So keep going, Brian. I'm glad to hear you say no, that. No, no, just go ahead. Tell me. I, I That's my point. This is not a time. Mm-hmm. Y- your generosity, your giving and stuff like that should not be the thing that goes away when budgets get tight. Yeah. And I, and I think this is going back to what you said, where the rubber meets the road when what we preach about money, like especially as Christian people, we are called to be people of generosity, called to give. And so it, I think it can be you're looking at a budget and you think, where do I have wriggle room? Well, those places feel like the most practical places because you don't, quote unquote, have to give, right? And, right but you do right. have to buy groceries. But I do think for the Christian, like this is an act of faith to keep choosing to worship God with your money, knowing it's ultimately his, not ours, and mm-hmm. see God show up in that. And I'm not trying to preach a prosperity gospel, but what I am trying to say is like, this is a time to express your faith financially. Don't pull back from giving or generosity and just watch as God, you know, shows up and meet the needs that you have. Absolutely. So uh, we feel it. That's where I wanted to start today. I watched the Today Show and it stressed me out this morning. Uh, And and I can't, I I can't uh, fathom where people who have a lot of money tied up in the stock market are feeling these Mm -hmm. days as it's just plunging and all, you know, hear words about recessions and inflation and all of it causes stress. But here's the good news. Uh, We have a God who is faithful and that that we can trust. All right, Aubrey, let me tell you a story of that I was reading the other day, Uh, not out of the Washington Post, but about the Hmm. Washington Post. Uh, it's, uh, there, there's a Washington Post reporter by the name of Felicia Sonmez. I don't know if I'm saying her name right. S-O-N-M-E-Z. And she got fired this past week amid a week of infighting. So here's what the story goes. The Washington Post has fired national political reporter, uh, Felicia, I'm going to go with Sanmez, but it's, it could be okay. different. The Daily Post has confirmed capping off a week's worth of highly public drama at the paper. Uh, her exit from the paper comes after a week of Washington Post infighting that stoked heated conversation over newsroom inequity and social media use with multiple reporters taking shots at each hmm. other in public. Uh, she was emailed a termination letter pointing to misconduct that includes insubordination, maligning your coworkers Uh-oh. online, and violating the post standards on workplace uh, inclusivity. We cannot allow this to continue. So here's how the story goes. Uh, it began last week when political reporter Dave Weigel re- retweeted a sexist post about a bisexual woman. He apologized. He took it down. Uh, but... Sanmez publicly called him out <clears throat> along with the paper's management, writing, fantastic to work at a news outlet where retweets like this are allowed. 
And then people could go back and read the story. It started a week of back and forth of her just not letting up and talking about, about the newsroom, talking about other people. uh, And to the point that somebody from the Washington post at one point just tweeted, please stop. Oh wow. She wouldn't stop. She, she felt like she was like this crusader who could like Hmm. bring back the curtain of what's going on. And it's weird that all started with this guy, Dave Weigel. And it was an inappropriate meme that he retweeted. But he he immediately went to it and was like, I shouldn't have done that. It was inappropriate. I apologize. Like, it was somebody else's meme, all of this stuff. Uh, but it she started going at it with all these different people and made this huge deal of it. And she got fired and was like, why did I get fired yeah, for this? Yeah, yeah. And I don't know what the point here of this story is, except for this. People always call the First Amendment. You ever heard this? People like, freedom of speech. Yes. She can say what yeah. she wants. Freedom of speech does not does not give you freedom from consequences. Mm. And I don't understand. I guess this is where I want to land, Aubrey. I don't understand this new way that people live right now, it feels like, <laughs> in which they think they can air Everything. their family's dirty yeah. laundry, their yeah. church's yeah. dirty laundry, yeah. their their workplaces dirty yeah. on social media. Right. And and think that there won't be consequences. That consequence like this free. lady. Yeah. This lady could have gone to HR and been like, listen, mm-hmm. uh, here's all of my problems with our workplace environment. Right, it's highlighted by this retweet. Yeah. People were asking her, please stop tweeting. Please stop tweeting. And she tweeted and she tweeted and she tweeted and she got fired, rightfully so. And then there was like this surprise that she got fired. Uh, uh, Aubrey, to help me understand why it feels like, like I talk to my kids about this sometimes, like. You don't need to air everything publicly, but that feels like who we are as a people now. Yeah, it's so wild. Kevin and I were actually just talking about this. Some of it is like, is it generational or is it just in general, this is what's happening? But it feels like, um, I know this isn't necessarily like the foundation of what's going on, but it feels like a lack of professionalism in a lot of ways too, because I, I do feel like a lot of these stories are work place stories where people are writing articles about their place of work inventing or people are tweeting about their place of work or whatever although i see this with churches too people are venting about their churches etc and it's like um okay if you're gonna do that don't be surprised that you lose your job or that there are consequences like it's just your friends cut you out of their life or or your pastor gets upset like it just it would not this is where I don't. I just don't think I understand it because it would. As frustrated as I might get about my coworker Brian, I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna go online and vent about my coworker publicly and assume that that's okay at all. And so I, I don't know if it's. I, I this it makes me feel old, Brian. But I feel like more and more I'm like, have we lost our minds? I I think it goes back to like some civility, some decorum, and you're right that. We have this really false idea that free speech means no consequences. Right. And I just don't think that's real life, let alone decent. I I, yes. I don't know. what. Tell me what you think. I'm glad to hear that when I frustrate you, you're not going to go online. Maybe you'll just go to an open microphone. About that. <laughs> but I am always surprised by people who air their laundry whether it be about work, yeah. you've seen it when people do it about their, their marriages. marriages. I was just venting. thinking that, yes. They start venting in public places, maybe not social media, but like in a group of mm-hmm. people. 
or about their churches. You and I put up with this all the time, but you'll see pastors do this, venting about their churches on like Facebook. Yeah, no, not good. And you're like, not good. this feel, I, I don't know, just because we're an interconnected society doesn't mean everything needs to be public right? and everything needs to be social. So, right. Aubrey, what would you say, what are some good ground rules for, <laughs> I'm frustrated at work, I'm frustrated with my church, I'm frustrated yeah. with my spouse. What are good ways to go about it other than I'm going to just blast everybody? Yeah, I mean, this is where kind of the kind of the age old like let's have conversations in person, you know, is really, really yeah. like biblical and healthy. So I, I would say go to that person and talk about some of the problems that you have. Go to that leader. Like you said earlier, if it's a work situation, go to HR um, you know, if you have a trusted friend, can you, can you say to them, Hey, I'm, I'm kind of feeling frustrated about this one thing. Can you help me process it? Am I reading it wrong? Am I negatively interpreting something that's, you know, can you give me some advice? Like I would probably go to an older person who's been in the workforce for a long time if it's work related and ask them. And then I do think there is a moment where you need to step back and like breathe, ponder, pray, before you go after whatever it is you're going after. Like, and you and I have said yes. this before, like pause before you post. Certainly when you're about to vent about someone in your life, yes. definitely pause, take a walk, take a few days. Like just because you're not posting about it doesn't mean it's not actually happening. You don't have to share everything there you and go. take some time to like gain some wisdom and perspective before you, you go to that like venting publicly place. I think the best line you said there is, you don't have to share everything, whether it's social media, yeah. whether it's with other people. Right. That always makes me uncomfortable when people vent about their spouse. Oh, I don't like that in at like all. A, in like a gathering. And you're like, yeah, it's, really? Right. Like, that's, what, that's what we do? Mm -hmm. So that got all that coming from that story. Like, yes, you have freedom of speech. That does not mean you have freedom from consequences. Right, right. And uh, you don't need to share everything about your life. Yeah. Anyway, well, Aubrey... Um, We've recently kind of come upon a blog, not recently, but we've we've read it more and more from Tim Challies. Uh, you said off air, you're like, he is just a fantastic He is a fantastic writer. writer, yeah. And a lot of his writing, he had one of the earliest Christian blogs way back mm -hmm. in the day. And you know what? He's Canadian too. So I didn't know he was Canadian. Oh, man. I love the Canadians. <laughs> They're all so kind. They're kind Canadians. But he's also gone through some recent tragedy and that's going to really play into the blog that is part of the blog that I want to read for you here. Uh, he lost his son who was in college about to graduate college about to get married and his son uh, just from an unknown health issue just dropped dead. Mm, awful. Uh, not from drug use, not from COVID, not from alcohol, whatever. Uh, and not that that makes those things any less tragic for a young person died, but this was, this kid was, he was going to be, if I remember, going to go into ministry and going to get married and all of this stuff. And he just passed away. Uh, and so uh. that has begun to inform a lot of what Tim Challies writes about. And I want to just read a little bit of what he wrote this week. Uh, it's entitled this, The Harder Our Earth, The Sweeter Our Heaven. Mm. And so he begins by talking about people who living in the Swiss Alps are not terribly impressed when they go to the Adirondacks <laughs> or when they go to the Smokies. Uh, he says, it does us good at times to ponder heaven, 
to ponder the future God has provide uh, has promised to those who love Him. He has promised that He will that we will be with Him forever in a new heaven and a new mm. earth, a recreation of this world in which all sin and sorrow, all pain and danger will have been removed. Here we will live out the purpose for which God created us to spread out over the earth and enjoy it with Him and for Him. And He goes on to say. Um, we we will make the pilgrimage from here to, the, as we make the pilgrimage from here to there, we endure this long journey. We expect that it will be difficult. We expect that we will experience the consequences that have come with mankind's fall into sin. We expect that we will endure sickness, bereavement, persecution, chastisements, and so many other forms of suffering. This will all be inevitable in a world like this one. And so... Uh, he says, the sorrows here prepare us for the glories there. Mm. And this makes me wonder, wow. here's the question, Aubrey, he asked, this makes me wonder, wouldn't it be the ones who suffer most on earth who are best prepared to enjoy heaven? Wow. Wouldn't it be the ones who were deprived of so much here who will be most satisfied mm. there? I'm going to read some more later on, but what do you think of those questions? Uh, do you think he's right? Wow. I mean, I, I actually, I don't know if I know the answer to that question, but I do think it's so beautiful. And, and something I often think about is that we, I wonder if this even goes back to our evangelism conversation. I think sometimes we have avoided thoughts about the afterlife, not even sure if we believe the afterlife anymore. And so we get very focused on our life on this earth. And sometimes I think it's to the detriment of like the life to come or new creation or whatever language, heaven, whatever language you want to use. Um, and, and thinking about the fact that like this suffering in our life now could actually be preparing us to enjoy heaven more, to enjoy uh, new creation more. Um, there's something very hopeful in that, right? It, to keep us, I guess, go like going to keep us enduring yeah. and to keep us remembering that this life is not, um, the only one we're going to experience. So I, I appreciate that. I hope he's right. I mean, I, it makes sense mm. to me, you know, reading scripture that we're in one sense, like being made more like Christ through our suffering. And so perhaps there will be more of a like beautiful taste of heaven because of that. And I do think of the people in my life I know who have suffered quite a bit. Like I long for that for them too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is cool. It, it reminds us is like, I think this is why in the gospels, Jesus is surrounded by people who are most hurting. Mm, like, wow. They were attracted to him in such a way yeah. uh, that those who were not hurting, those who were prideful and self-righteous were not attracted to him. They were like, mm. what do I need this guy for? Yeah. He was a threat to them. Yeah. Uh, let, let me read. I mean, I wish I could read this entire blog post. It is beautiful. But let me read the last two paragraphs okay. and let you comment okay. on it. Those who were lonely in this world will marvel at the joy of fellowship. Those who were abused in this world will be satisfied to experience perfect safety. Those who were estranged in this world will rejoice to know full acceptance. The one who had so many loved ones taken from her arms will be most satisfied to know that pain and death and sorrow and sighing shall be no more. Mm. We know that heaven will be a wonder for all who are admitted, a place of perfect peace and perfect satisfaction for all who enter its gates. 
but surely heaven will be a greater wonder still for those whose joys were fewest, whose sorrows were deepest, mm. whose earth was the most distant from heaven. I really, mm. besides that being beautiful, I think he's yeah, right. Yeah, I think he's right too. Well, I remember you you spent a year in Africa. Yeah. I remember even spending 10 days in Africa, seeing how little some people lived with, how different life yeah. was. I remember, I do actually remember thinking to myself at one point, man, heaven for them is going to be a different experience. Mm. Um, and wow. obviously it's going to be wonderful for us. But I remember thinking they have so little. And I think that's what Chalice is saying here. Um, that, And I yeah. think it's biblical that those yeah. who suffer are going to know something that those of us who don't might not fully realize. Yeah, he's almost like leaning into the Beatitudes a little bit, right? Like, the, like right. you know, um, you know, blessed are the... <laughs> blessed the ones who mourn yeah, yeah they'll be comforted blessed are the meek they'll inherit the earth like i i do think there is something like you said biblical about this and i and i do think that this is such a hopeful word for those who are hurting and again when you think about this coming from a man who suddenly lost his son out of nowhere knowing that he's actually living this. Like, this is not a cliche thing he's saying. This is yeah. like hope he's actually clinging to, I think makes the message even stronger. But I, I do think that, I mean, I think that's interesting that that line, surely it's not the man who lived in fine palaces who will be most amazed by the streets of gold. I know you, I there is something... It, it, I think I'm hesitating because, it, like you said, we know that this is going to be a beautiful experience for all of us and that we're going to experience Correct. more grace yes. and mercy that we deserve. But I do think you're right. Those who have suffered so deeply, the like the relief and the joy and the, yes. the awe and the wonder at experiencing something new and grand will be, I think, I, it just seems like there'll be a heart of gratitude like in heaven more so than the rest of us. Absolutely. So again, go to, uh, what is it? Chalies.com, C-H-A-L-L-I-E-S, Chalies.com, and uh, you will be blessed for it. Brian, today's uh, congressional hearings were postponed, and uh, you kind of made a joke that it's like kids in their homework. Like you've had all your all semester to work on this. Why is this getting postponed right. today? But have you been uh, paying much attention to what's going on until today? So more tangentially, right? Like I... I always tell you I watch the today I get up and watch the Today Show in the morning. Yeah, that's, so they'll catch that's your up. show. So I have not watched one second of live coverage. Yeah. So I have not watched one piece of it. But you know, you do get the recaps, and you're like, <clears throat> "Wow, that's something." Mm -hmm. Or and and you know, I I think that it continues to paint a picture that President Trump legitimately thought the election was stolen, yeah. but everybody around him was telling him it wasn't. Right. Except you know, one of his. Uh, uh, it's funny. One of his campaign managers is named Bill Stepien. He actually went to high school with me. He was here. Oh, no me way. And uh, I didn't really know him, but he was in my high school. And uh, he was quoted in yesterday's hearings as saying that he was trying to tell President Trump that he had lost while Giuliani was telling him that it was stolen. Mm -hmm. And Stepien said, and there was like two factions within yeah. the White House talking to Trump about it. Yeah. And Bill Stepien said, I was more than happy to be to be on Team Normal. Oh, <laughs> so that was his quote. Team Normal versus, I, I did see this, versus completely nuts. That was the other quote. That yep, was the other team. Yeah. Yep. I mean, 
you know, the the they came out yesterday and said that the um uh, one of the people who testified said that they thought that Rudy Giuliani was actually drunk. drunk. On, I know, on, I saw that too. On, he was uh, like election night. Yes. And so all of it continues to paint a picture, Aubrey, of like misinformation yeah. and kind of running up the crowd. Now and also the amount of fundraising that happened off it. But I, I think they are, whether you want to believe it or not, right. and I, there are things to believe, things not to believe. Every, we talked about this yesterday. Everybody has an agenda in this, including the people running the hearings. Right. Everybody has an agenda on this. But you are starting to get a picture of how it ended up the way it did yeah. on January 6th. I don't know what should happen to people. Right. I don't know what should happen to the people who, you know, I don't know if President Trump legitimately believes the election yeah. was stolen. Right. Or if, that or was all just, just PR spin. Yep. Or, or just a way of, of just kind of keeping himself. And I, right, I don't know. Right. Like you, That is the frustrating thing about these things. You don't know necessarily what to believe. Mm-hmm. But it does help you see that J- what happened on January 6th wasn't just a random thing that happened out of out of the blue. Yeah, in fact, and, there, there's... Uh, everyone's going yeah, to need to decide what to do with that. Like, right? Yeah. Every citizen yep. is need is going to need to say... Here are the consequences in my mind for what happened. I don't think there's going to be any large scale consequences except for the people who did it. Um, but hopefully we never see anything like that again. Oh. So it's, it is crazy. It is all crazy. Yeah, it's all crazy. And, and it does, like you said, it, it wasn't just a random, random act. It does seem to be showing that uh, many of the, the Proud Boys or the other January 6th participants, you know, they were fueled by these these voter fraud lies essentially. And so this fake election, uh, fake election rally made them angry. And you know what, if it really was a fake election, if it really was a stolen election, then yeah, that would make you angry. I don't think that makes you storm the Capitol, but certainly that feels unjust and wrong. But the fact that it seems like these were, I mean, these are total lies about the election being stolen just fueled this horrible thing it will be interesting i guess to see who who ends up receiving some sort of consequence because of it i don't know what's going to happen obviously but really really interesting to watch and here's the other thing brian that i keep going back to and i you know i was going back to this during the election too i feel like this goes back to a little bit of like the lesson you learned when you were a little kid like don't be a sore loser. Like if you lost that Monopoly, <laughs> like I feel like and you'd want to throw a tantrum and throw the Monopoly board across the room and cause a scene. I feel like your parents are like, don't be a sore loser. Like you need to like be a person who can play the game with integrity. And that means you bow out with integrity. And I I, I don't know, like what a decent thing it would have been for Trump to be like, well, I tip my hat to you, Joe Biden. I lost the election. Well done. Like, I think that would have made him look like a man of integrity. You know, like he knows how to play the game fairly. But instead, he just looks like a sore loser. And this happened. And I I mean, I know there are people out there who really disagree with me because they're Trump fans and they do think that the election got stolen. So I don't want to I'm not trying to um, pigeonhole anybody in their beliefs like you may have a totally different viewpoint on this situation but i still think there's something to like be an honorable leader and pass the baton well even if you're not happy about it because that makes you look better like rather than being the one causing throwing a tantrum and then causing other people to throw a tantrum that actually like puts our government leaders and our capital in danger so it, it, there are certainly lessons here to be learned about leadership, right? Yeah. And the importance of, yeah. Of we've been saying this uh, for 
the whole three years we've done this, that leadership uh, at the highest levels, whether it be national, as we're speaking here, mm-hmm. whether it be in a state, whether it be at a church, yeah, leadership, um, it, everything flows down from the top. And so uh, when you have president and senators and everybody who can't get along and who are angry, yeah. you end up with a nation that can't get along and is angry. Yep. When your when your pastor is um, is an angry person, mm-hmm. like you know, seem to be the shtick within the last couple mm-hmm. decades here, you end up with a congregation of angry yeah. people. But the flip side of it is when you have a pastor and elders and whoever else who display the fruits of the spirit mm-hmm. and who are you end up seeing that sort of character not perfectly, yeah. but you see it flesh itself out. When you have leaders who are honorable, uh, like you said, who respect. Um, you know, the, the, how things have always been, then you, I think that bleeds down into the nation. Like, um, you know, there's that famous line in remember the Titans that says, um, uh, leadership, uh, basically says leadership births character. Mm. Like it's, it all comes from the top and we can want to believe it doesn't, that it's grassroots and this, it's not true. Leadership, it, it flows down and um, and I think that uh, some of the things that have happened in the last decade in Washington or the last even 20 years in Washington, uh, we're seeing the fruit of it in our country. Yeah. And we ask a lot of things. Why is our country so angry? Yeah. Why are we so fractured? Yeah. Why are people so mean to each yeah. other? Why this? I would just point to Washington, D.C. and go, that's what our kids have been raised right. with. It's what everybody has seen all of this time. And, uh, and here we are and here we are and such as life. So what's a solution, Brian? Like what do you think? I mean, I know the answer is Jesus, but like, what do you think it's going to take to see the, the nation begin to like tip in a new direction? I mean, it's going to take a different type of leader. I've lost hope in the ability of that kind of leader to even, yeah. or that kind of leadership at a national yeah. level to exist. Yeah. I don't believe it can anymore. Yeah. I think this is who we are. I think it has to start in places like families and churches. Yeah, I think you're right, Brian. Uh, where That's where character is in, is set, mm-hmm. and in schools and in mm-hmm. other things. If we are, if we at all think that, that there's going to be this uh, new type of leader who and that's going to bring together yeah, our country. Not going to happen. In the, not going to happen. Yeah. Never going to happen. Uh, but I do think churches need to look in the mirror. Uh, parents need to look in the mirror. Schools, teachers, and need to go. Am I a unifying factor? Yeah. Am I teaching character? Am I am I imparting character and integrity to the kids of the next generation? Yeah. Otherwise, we're going to end up more and more fractured, more and more angry. So I, I think the answer. Uh, while we're fighting against what national looks like, I think I think the answer is churches, family, schools. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that, Brian. And let's let's you know, even as we're watching these, uh, you know, congregation uh, congregational hearings as they end up continuing again later on in this week, maybe reflect on our own on our own family life, on our own churches, and how we can we can do better ourselves. Like let's let it be a lens or a mirror that we use to look at ourselves and ask God to make some changes. Brian, uh, your daughter just graduated. She is she on did. her way to college in just a short uh, couple months, right? 
I mean, she goes at the end of August. Wow. So, yes, okay. Very, very soon. Okay. And uh, I obviously do not have a child who graduated, but a sophomore as of next year. So we're just a couple years away from that. And uh, I know you, you talked about this a little bit last week, but I wanted to circle back to it. There was an article out of the New York Post saying that a third of Americans admit that they have no life plan after graduating school. That's college or high school. So a third have no plans now before we dive into this did you have plans like after let's let's say okay we both knew we were going to go to college so let's let's after college did you have plans so i think i did much more than to what students do today and here's why i I think it's a little bit generational like we're going to sound a little bit old here like i think it was understood a couple different things. When we graduated college, it was understood you either have a job or you're going to grad school, right? Like, Yeah, that's true. There was not like this kind of, eh, you know, find yourself a little bit more, this or that. Maybe there was. That's just not the perspective I or my family had. But here's the major thing for me, and I know this was for you right out of college. I got married six months after oh, I graduated right, college. Right. I mean, that really, I couldn't get married and be like, and tell my future father-in-law, can I marry your daughter? And, yeah, I'm just going to kind of try to find yeah, myself like, figure out what happens. And, right. You need to have a plan. Right. So that that certainly turned up the um, the temperature of needing to know what we're going to do and know where we're going to be. That's so true. And we got married uh, so young. That's not everybody's experience for sure. It's barely anybody's yeah. experience yeah. anymore. It's really true. Do you think um, you, okay, so this is something that the article talks about is that a lot of people um, said their jobs aren't even even in their degree fields. And so I wonder if part of the reason that people don't make plans is because they've seen that play out and they're like, well, what's the point? Like, I'm just going to look for a job either related or unrelated to the field I'm in. But you're in the field that you studied. I'm in the field I studied. Uh So did that, I mean, did you feel like there was an option for you not to be in the field that you got your degree in? So it feels like the degree you get your, like that starts you down a path. But I think for a lot of people, that path doesn't always keep going. Yeah, that's so true. For me and for you, it did. It's it's almost like that's your first shot. Yeah. Um, You know, for me, a lot of the wrestling happened in college because, I've shared this story before, but the great irony of my life uh, at this moment is that I really struggled with whether I wanted to go be a pastor or go into radio. <gasps> and I decided that I wanted to be a pastor. Uh, I didn't know when this, I was at Brian. Wheaton, I did all, yeah, when I was at Wheaton, I did all the sports oh, right. radio. I That's called right. your husband's football games. Yep. And, uh, and there was a big part of me that wanted to go into radio. It would have been much more kind of sports broadcasting yeah. radio. Uh, but I really also felt called and, and a longing to be a pastor and that really kind of won out uh and so i feel like i did my wrestling then mm. um but but that won out and that's why there's great humor in my life that 20 years later You're, you I have a radio, radio show i know i love that and right. you're a pastor that's amazing exactly got kind of both of them for at least the time being and so uh you know i think that that for me there was wrestling i actually enjoy this is going to sound weird because I've already, I've just spent a couple minutes telling you that I kind of had my path directed. I kind of knew what I was yeah. doing when we were getting married, all this stuff. 
I think I'd be totally fine if my daughter graduated college not knowing what she wanted to do. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Like, is it important to you that she has a plan graduating college? I mean, a plan is one th- – I would say a loose plan, right? Yeah, like, like a job or something. I don't want to – I don't want us to pay for four years of college and she just kind of go, well, that was fun. I have no idea (laughs) what's going to happen. I'm moving home. But I also am okay with trying different things, trying out grad school, like going to grad Mm -hmm. school or trying this profession. Like I, I feel like the world we live in now gives, uh, gives college graduates much more freedom to be like, all right, try to figure it out. Um, and, and I feel that I, I, so when we read those statistics that you read earlier, I actually don't know that that's a bad thing. Yeah. I don't know that it's a bad thing that students are coming out of college going, I think I know what I want to do, but I'm going to kind of test the waters. I'm going to travel mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put off getting – like I'm, I'm okay with that. Like if my daughter were like, hey, I want to go to grad school, but I want to take a year mm-hmm. – and and try this i think i'd be good with that i think that's actually pretty healthy versus like you graduate you have the job waiting for you and you stay in that job for the next 50 years until you get a pension and you retire like i there's nothing wrong with that but i kind of like the way things are situated I, i kind of agree and i do feel like i mean even though you and i sort of ended up roundaboutly in the fields that we studied i i do feel like i didn't really even know what i wanted to do until i was in my 30s and i think there's a lot of that is true. Like when you're twenties, you're just still figuring things out. And so to have some like life experience, to have some, um, track record behind you, some discoveries of like, Oh, I'm really good at this. Oh, I'm terrible at this. Oh, I thought I wanted to do this, but actually like, it it makes sense to me that you wouldn't necessarily, I agree with you, like have some kind of plan. Like you're going to look for a job, but generally knowing exactly like this is what my path will look like, I I don't know that any of us can really predict that kind of thing. Now, if you did and you went for it, that's amazing. But I think yes. so much of life is unpredictable and so much of life is discovering along the way that it makes sense that there'd be like a little bit of time post, you know, you're 22 years old graduating, like you got time to figure out who you are and what you want to do. And, and I, you know, I obviously, again, like we need to be able to live and pay our bills, but I, in general, like what our career path might be or what our purpose in life is, some of that does take time to discover. Now here's a, can I ask you a personal question about, about Madeline and you, you know, you don't have to talk about her necessarily, but what if she was like, dad, I don't want to go to college at all. What if she was like, I want to, I don't know, I want to get a job or I want to go do a gap year in Europe. I want to, I'm not sure if college is for me. Would you have pushed her to go to college anyway? There would have been a lot of long conversations. Yeah, yeah. Because I do get it. Uh, I have family members doing gap years and this, like I I get the gap year. I would have struggled if it was, I don't want to go to college at all. Mm Mm-hmm. I would have needed to talk that through a lot for a couple different reasons. One, it's outside of certain fields, it a college degree matters. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. it matters. Yeah. And so you want to make sure that your child is not making a short sighted decision there that's going to affect them. I would also have a hard time with Aubrey because my four years of college were about my favorite four years of my oh, life. Oh, wow. Like it was, wow. I loved college and I want that for my daughter mm. and then for my my son and my daughter coming after her. Like, yeah. I'm so excited for my daughter to go to college yeah. you know, here a couple months and experience college life. That's so true. And that freedom and that, you know, leaving home mm-hmm. and all of this stuff. 
that if she were like, I don't want that, I would selfishly grieve that and want to make sure she understands what she's getting. Yeah. So would I tell her you have to go to college? No, yeah. I would not do yeah. that. But I also don't think I would just immediately accept it and be like, oh, it's totally Great. fine. No problem. Uh, go get a job. Like I, I'd want to go through. Gap year would be different for me. I think there's a lot of wisdom. For I think so who too. Just don't know what they want right. to do in doing the gap right. year, which is very new. That wasn't really around much when uh-uh, we were in college. If it was a complete, I want to just get into the work world, yeah. I think we'd have a lot of hard conversations. Yeah, I, I know. Kevin's a little more open to like, yeah, if our kids don't want to go to college, that's fine. I'm a little like, nope, they're going to college. They will go to college. Yeah. So, I, But I do think there's some wisdom in like, we would have some conversations about it for sure. All right. Well, one third of Americans admit to having no life plans after graduating. It sounds like that's actually pretty true for most of us. Uh, Kind of an interesting conversation. Um, At the end of every show, we'd love to bring you something encouraging or inspiring or something just to put a smile on your face. And, um, you know, Brian, it's been a hard season. We've even talked about heavy things today. We've talked about inflation. We've talked about church leadership. We've talked about the congressional hearings. We've talked about suffering on this earth. Like we've, we've talked about some hard things and it's been a season of of difficulty. I think a lot of us are feeling it like we've talked about in our finances. We're experiencing it in our marriages, in our health, in our jobs. Like, And it's been you know, coming out of a year or two years of difficult seasons. Uh, yes. it, it just has sort of felt like nonstop. I think we can all be very honest about that. And so I, this article caught my attention at churchleaders.com because it's called Seven Ways to Hold On to Hope by a guy named Ben Reed. And he's talking about that, uh, this concept of like, if you're in a difficult season, how do you hold on to hope? And he said that he, he has heard it said every person on the planet is in one of three places. Uh, one, in the middle of a difficult situation. Two, coming out of a difficult situation. Or three, getting ready to enter a difficult situation. <laughs> That's a little bit depressing, but I think there's some truth to that, don't you think? I do. It doesn't mean it's just around the corner. Right. But I think, right, what were Jesus's words, right? When you mm. have trouble or in this life, you will have trouble. And it doesn't say you might. It might doesn't say you're the, the one of the unlucky few. It's coming for you. It yeah. might be right now. It might be in your future, but I do think this is where we get in trouble in the West. We value, uh, I would call it, we have idolized comfort. Mm, and, that's so true. Uh, the Bible does not. And that's so when, true. when we orient our lives towards comfort, then when we lose our comfort, we start to go, where's God? Why did he do this to me? When, when we were told you're going to have trouble and don't lose hope endure and that's that's where the struggle is for the church right now yeah i i I think you are exactly right there there is some struggle that these things shake us so much because we're so unprepared for it because we like our comfort so much i think you're right the church needs to get a little more resilient especially the church in the west in america when it comes to suffering so here are the um here are the seven ways to hold on to hope the first one is uh go with friends and here's what this um author says, don't try to navigate on your own. There are no healthy followers of Jesus that are lone rangers. Go alone. Mm. You'll be broken. Go with others. You can grow and prosper. What do you think about that one? I think that's good too. We talk about community all the time on this show, right? And especially in difficult times, you never, it's that famous story in the old Testament of Aaron and Mm -hmm. and the other person holding up the staff when Moses. That's right. right? Yep. 
who's going to be there for you to hold mm. you up when these inevitable bad yeah. times come? Yes, this is this is foundational. Yeah, I think that one's so good. The second one is actively trust in the Lord. And I, I think that one seems kind of obvious, but here's what he says. He says, that means we don't simply wait lazily on our couches until God opens up the heavens. There's this concept in CrossFit that we talk about called active recovery. It means that on your, quote, off days, you do something that's still active. You don't get better by sitting on the couch. Actively trust in the Lord by doing and going, not just sitting and waiting. He says, be careful with your open door theology. Hope is an action verb. What do you think he means by that? Be careful with your open door theology. What I think he means is a lot of us say, I'm just going to wait till God opens a door. Mm. Uh, And so I'm going to sit here and passively wait. Well, sometimes God opens those doors. Sometimes miraculously. Yeah. But sometimes like they're saying, it's as you're actively moving forward, right? Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm working for uh, whatever, whatever it might be. But sometimes those doors open as you're pushing forward. Ooh, and so that's I think good. he's trying to push against just always being passive. Yeah. And on the couch. Now, I, you know, I'm not a CrossFit guy. So I do. I do. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a little frustrated by his uh, this metaphor of the yeah, sitting on the right, couch. Right. right? But, There's some... but I think he's right. It does frustrate you when people are like, I'm just waiting for God mm. to act and work. Well, I get that. But sometimes God acts and works through your forward progress yeah, that's and so through true. the steps you've yeah. taken. I think that's what they're getting yeah, at Yeah, that's, that's so true. I also like sitting on the couch. So let's, let's, not, <laughs> let's not knock that too much. All right. Number three, uh, be honest. You can't receive help if you're not honest. I think that's really true. Like you have to admit that you're hurting and that you need help. Four, know it'll get better. Relief is coming. And this, I think, is really helpful. It may not come when you want it to. It sure didn't for the Israelites. They had to wait 40 years at one point, 70 years at another point. But relief is coming. Hold on to hope because God's got a plan to pull you through. And then this one's interesting, Brian. I want to hear your thoughts about this. Number five, know that it won't get better. He says, wait, wait, wait. You say, you just told me that relief is coming. And I did. But the larger reality is that we live in a fallen world where sin abounds. There is a thief that comes to still kill and destroy, which means we should come to expect that this life will be fraught with pain and frustration. So this goes back to what you were saying, Brian, instead of making an idol of the easy life, grow in the reality that things will never be fully quote right on this earth, but they will be in heaven. And then he says, this isn't an invitation to fatalism though. Jesus prayed that God's perfect will would be done as it is in heaven. What do you think about that one? I was actually thinking about that the other day. Like we we've watched so many movies where everything ties up in a bow. Mm, yeah. That sometimes when we're going through hard times, we assume, but it's all going to work out well in a sense of it's all going to get better. Right. Now, like right. right now. And a lot of times that doesn't, that's just sometimes life just gets hard. Yep. And uh, sometimes people die from cancer. Yeah. Sometimes uh, relationships don't mend uh, and whatever else it might be. Now we, the, that's the, that's the, reality of heaven that we hold on to that there is coming a day where things are made right but i think that is an important point it's not like hey endure and i promise on this earth everything will wrap up in a bow and be fine that's not the promise right and um sometimes i think we live that way because that's the movies that we watch right in 45 minutes uh things kind of get resolved totally um and you could really get weary and and discouraged if you're like well why isn't this wrapping up why is this 
I thought if I just prayed and waited, everything would be fine, quote unquote. And it just doesn't always work that way. Yeah, totally. I think I think this is actually really a good a good reminder for all of us. I appreciate you said that. I think you're totally right. We want that Hallmark movie ending or Disney movie ending. But sometimes we are waiting to experience that when we get to heaven or when Jesus returns. Let me read you the last two. No, this will make you more like Jesus. I think this is a really, really important point as well. God's not taking you through this pain because he's sadistic. His plan is that through all things, you will begin to look more like Christ. He says, we love Romans eight twenty eight. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for those who are called according to his purpose. But it's verse 29 where we find what the answer is for our situation. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The good that God wants for you is that you'd grow to look more and more like Jesus. Jesus, hold on to that hope. I think that is such a good, good word that these seasons of suffering do help us grow in intimacy with Jesus and look more and more like Jesus. And then the last thing mm-hmm. he says, number seven, this can be your ministry. As we's quoting Second Corinthians here, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, those so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering we suffer. God comforts us in our days of hopelessness so that we can comfort others. And Brian, I have found this so true. Like it is often the things that we go through where we end up doing the most ministry because we're able to offer people hope, compassion, empathy, and maybe resources that we didn't have, like born of our suffering, don't you think? Absolutely. It, um, and this is where you talked about evangelism mm-hmm. uh, earlier about lament, yep. right? Like out of our experiences, out of our hurts, we grow in empathy for people and it deepens our ministry as they talked about mm-hmm. here. Absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, those there's the old sayings about wounded pastors are the best pastors. Yep. It's people who have who have struggled and who know this as their reality, yeah. I think, who are best set to help people going through yeah, it. Yeah, I think you are exactly right. All right. Well, those were some really encouraging uh, seven ways to hold on to hope. And thanks so much for joining us today. We hope that encouraged you. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com